Welcome back to another episode of Stern Chats. Wait, Justin, why are you eating ice cream right now? Interview preparation. I'm just trying to get in the zone for our next guest. Oh, that must mean we have Pooja Bhavishi in the studio today. Pooja graduated from Stern in May of 2015 and the same month founded Malai Ice Cream, the one that you're eating. Today, the brand can be found in stores like Whole Foods and Dean DeLuca, as well as a storefront coming soon to Brooklyn. I hope you're hungry. Oh, I am. And I'm currently snacking on the newest seasonal flavor, toasted nutmeg, and it is delicious. But tell me more, Devna. How did Pooja found this ice cream business? Was it some sort of specialization at Stern? Unfortunately, there is no ice cream MBA at Stern, but I can share that Malai began with inspiration from a Mrs. Fields cooking show, and then took a master's in urban planning, a career in affordable housing, and an MBA from Stern to get us to Malai today. Wait a minute. The Mrs. Fields of mall cookie fame is real? I am intrigued. For our listeners, you can find more information about Pooja and Malai at www.malai.co. And be sure to follow them on Instagram at at Malai underscore ice cream. Special thanks to Meg Rowley for her hard work as an AP and everyone behind the scenes who helped with today's episode. You ready to start the show? Of course. In the words of Steven, let's stir up the volume. Cue that music. University Stern Campus, this is Stern Chats, the podcast that tells the hidden stories between the lines of someone's resume. In the interest of serving the Stern community, building relationships, and unlocking important life lessons, we present these stories to a wider audience. Welcome back to another episode of Stern Chats. I'm Devna Shukla. And I'm Justin Katches. Today we're in for a real treat with Stern alum and founder of Malaya Ice Cream, Pooja Bavishi. Pooja, welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Pooja, we are so excited to have you in the studio. So in true Stern Chats tradition, can you give us your 30-second pitch? Sure. So my name is Pooja. I um, graduated from Stern in 2015, and right after that started Malai, um, inspired by a lot of things that happened at Stern. And Malai is a South Asian-inspired high-end ice cream brand um, based in Brooklyn. We do a lot of flavors like rose and cardamom and just uh, debuted our uh, seasonal toasted nutmeg flavor and we we sell in Brooklyn and have a storefront there and distribute around the Northeast and ship nationwide. For the record, I want to say Justin is currently eating Malai ice cream for lunch right now and it's like <laughs> has the biggest smile on his face while he does it. I'll give you a real-time review. Uh, the new toasted nutmeg flavor is delicious. It's great on <laughs> pie, guys. <laughs> a great treat for Diwali, for Thanksgiving. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We can't wait to hear more about it. You mentioned Stern already, so I'm curious about coming into Stern. Did you know that you wanted to start a business and even go into the food industry, or sort of what was your thought process coming into Stern? Yeah, so I actually knew I wanted my own dessert business for as long as I can remember. I made my first cheesecake when I was 10 years old and made the connection very early on that desserts made by hand make people happy. Mm. And I just like wanted to turn that into my career in some way. But, you know, like life kind of takes you in different directions and you have different interests and passions. And so I went on to study other things and, and had this had a career in nonprofits and affordable and fair housing. But along that same time, everyone who was close to me knew that I eventually wanted to start a dessert business. Hmm. So by the time I came to Stern, even my professors knew that I wanted to eventually do this. It's just about taking the step and having a concept and just having the guts to do it, honestly. And I finally made that decision in my second to last semester at Stern. Wow, that's incredible. And I'm so I'm so excited to dig into that story. But 
you made your first dessert at 10. I mean, I certainly wasn't cooking at 10. I could barely cook at 29. <laughs> <laughs> so what inspired you to do that? Was that part of your family? Was that part of you know the culture where you grew up? Tell no, us a bit about I mean, that. no. I mean, yes and no. <laughs> I just said no forever. <laughs> um, I, it, I think it's just about interest. And so... You know, like my, my parents are immigrants from India, and so we had a very different lifestyle at home than what we had outside of home. And so, we, and where was home? I North Carolina. I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina. And so, my it wasn't just like my mom or like the women in my family that loved to cook. My dad loves to cook too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we we always like everything awesome revolves around food. Um, like everything cultural, everything familial, like like traditions, it all revolves around food. And so I had an interest in that anyway. Like I would, whenever I would spend summers in India where my grandparents live, um, I had this interest in like the traditions of food and making things in like, in a very traditional way and, and like what our culture comprised of and, and just kind of researching not at 10 but later on um, like how flavors fit together mm-hmm. so honestly the making the cheesecake at 10 um, this was like pre-food network and um, Mrs. Fields like of Mrs. Fields cookie fame oh my goodness um, had a TV show and um, she was making a white chocolate cheesecake and I was just like after like my Ooh. Saturday morning, whatever I was watching, it came on. And we were all just kind of watching that together. And I, I asked my mom, I was like, can I make that? And she was like, I'll take you grocery shopping and the kitchen is yours. And obviously, like, it wasn't awesome in any way, right? Like, it was, you're not supposed to slice cheesecake warm and it looked nothing like it did on TV. And like, it, it just, it, it wasn't great. But I like I still remember like to this day, however many years later that when I gave a piece to my parents and my sister, they were like they were genuinely happy and maybe they were just proud of me. I don't know what it was, but I was like that's such a great feeling that I took the time and made this, and it's desserts never make people unhappy and they're just so pleased with it. So I continued. Maybe I just wanted people to like me. I don't know. <laughs> I continued. <laughs> I continued to do that, like with my friends and and my my close family and everything. I would have these like, as I was growing up, I would have these like parties to like experiment with recipes and get feedback. And I had a blog when that was cool. <laughs> I did all of those things. <laughs> Is there a dish that you associate most with home and most with like your most fond memories of being with your family? Yeah. So. Um, so my, my family, my parents are from uh, a northwestern part of India called Gujarat. Gujarati food is not food that you find in commercial settings. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very simple and it's, it's, it's just, it's not glamorous in any way. There's no creams and like heavy, bold flavors and like you just don't really find it. But those simple foods, there's like, there's a dish with just rice and dal, like lentils mixed together in a pressure cooker. And like, that is home to me. Like that. Is, yes, yeah. exactly. You have your Indian sister here. We got it. We got it. <laughs> uh, so like, that's just like, that is my comfort food. Like mm-hmm. when I'm missing home, that is what I make. Definitely. And you can't go wrong with dokla too. I know. Exactly. Dokla is like a spongy, like rice-based cake. A savory cake. A savory cake, yeah. which is also really interesting about the Gujarati food that's always very savory versus sweet. Well, the thing about Gujarati food that I find so interesting is actually it's always savory and sweet. Mm. Like you never have a dessert course. You always have the two together, mm-hmm. like in like a traditional um, Gujarati meal, which is served on this like steel, like a round steel plate called a thali. Mm-hmm. Um, you always have your dessert on there as well. Like you have all of your savories and your sweet. And that actually is inspiration for Malai because all of our ice creams have a little bit of salt in them. It's not just a one note sweetness. Mm-hmm. It's this mixture. 
Justin, you're going to India soon. You're learning all the things today. I'm taking notes over here. <laughs> <laughs> so after this Mrs. Fields cooking show, and you, you find this passion, you start this blog, uh, you end up at UNC studying public policy. Correct. What led you there and, and why and why? Well, the basketball policy? team obviously <laughs> led me there. Um, Go Heels, right? Yeah, exactly. Forever. So I... I ended up at UNC for, for various reasons, the number one reason being that I wanted to be a journalist um, at that time, and UNC has a great journalism school. But I tend to do things all, like do all things the way my sister did, and my sister was graduating with a public policy de- degree, and I was like, that sounds cool. <laughs> and so um, I, I had this interest in, in social justice very early on. I did this camp in high school called Anytown. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of that before, but it was, it was about social inclusion and and diver- like embracing diversity. And so I, I became very interested in how to work with that in my career. Um, and so public policy was kind of a natural choice when, when I decided to like back away from, from journalism. And I wanted to go to law school and I like really wanted to like affect change. And so um, I double majored in, in cultural studies and in public policy with the intention that I would go to law school. Um, And the summer between my junior and senior years, I uh, worked at a civil rights agency in DC and eventually got a job there for after graduation. And I loved it. I worked on fair housing and fair employment and we simultaneously worked with the law firm um, that would litigate our cases. And so we would see change in real time, which was so important to me and just like so cool to work on. That is what I wanted to do. But I mean, I still made everyone's birthday desserts and I <laughs> like, still, still like hosted cookie parties and things like that. You're definitely invited to my next birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> so then after you moved to DC, was that your moment where you switched into your passion for food or what happened You know, with this job no, at DC? So but the passion for food was throughout. Like the enti- my entire life, I had a passion for food. Mm-hmm. I've had a passion for food. And so it was never either or. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, this is, these are like the two great things. Like one was a job and one was my hobby. And, and like I eventually made, wanted to make my hobby into my career, but I didn't really know how to make that change. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that everything had to be connected in some way, that like this education was for having some kind of dessert business that incorporated fair housing, right? Like, mm-hmm. I just, like, I wanted, I wanted in my mind for everything to be so neatly packed mm-hmm. that, like, that I wasn't confident to take that step. And so instead, I, I just furthered my career in, in what I was doing. So I went to go get my master's in urban planning. And again, I say that, like, I loved that career. Like, I was very, very passionate in that. And, and I, I loved advancing these rights and um, but I, I just like I wanted t- uh, the entire time I was figuring out how do I incorporate my like greatest passion, which was just being in the kitchen and making things into this career. And I'm, I'm curious because a lot of people here are still trying to figure it out. Sure. Right? You've had this passion that you've known about since you were 10 years old. Mm-hmm. How is that? You know, how did you balance knowing that in the back of your head with all the stuff that you were kind of doing in, on the career side where a lot of us are just like, we're trying to figure it out as, as we go? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that there's, I, I mean, I'll tell you about like my mini aha moment, but like, I, I think that like, it doesn't seem like it's your passion and what you want to do until you've actually done it. So until I actually took the step and create Malaya, I was like, oh yeah, I, this was throughout my entire life. I've been mm-hmm. saying that I want to deserve business, but that's like very retrospective, right? Like while you're in it, you're just like, this is what I, this is what I do. This is my life, mm-hmm. right? Like it's not so clear cut. 
There were a couple of things that like kind of helped me take that step into starting Malai. Um, and it all happened uh, like just about four years ago this month. One was that I was recruiting for jobs and nothing was really like exciting me. Like I wasn't super stoked to do any of these things. And so I had, I actually had a meeting with Kavi. And at that point we had already done our, have you guys taken power in politics? I, we have not. No. Okay. Well, there's, there's a big project that where you make a constituency map and you kind of write out your goals and how to achieve them and, and things like that. But, For our listeners, can you describe what that is? Yeah, it's exactly that. So you like have a have a big goal in the middle and then you kind of like weed out how to get to that goal using the networks that you have. Um, and so we had already done that, done that project. And so I'm sure at, at, in one of the weed outs, I wrote about the fact that I my, my big goal was get a job. <laughs> but Important. Important. but um, in one of the weed outs, I probably mentioned something about the dessert aspect of that being a hobby. And so I had a meeting with him and he kind of just like, he was like, take a step back. He was like, what do you want to do? Like, do you want to be in strategy? Do you want to be in marketing? Like what, like, what do you want in five years? What do you want to do? Finance, what, like, what is it? And I was, I answered by saying, I want to do it all. And he was like, well, <laughs> the only thing you can do is start your own business then. And it looks like it's time to start that dessert business. So I, like that happened kind of in the, I want to say like within a week of me holding my annual Friendsgiving. <laughs> and so I I was holding a Friendsgiving and I always obviously made the desserts for mm-hmm. it. And for the very first time, I decided to make ice cream as well. And remember, like I don't, I loved making desserts, but I never had a concept of how to turn that into a business because I like, what's another bakery? Like, what did that mean? Like, I, I didn't mm-hmm. really know what, how to like kind of convert that into a business idea. So I made ice cream for the first time, and ice cream has a super blank palate. So however robustly you flavor it is exactly it's like the better quality ice cream you're going to get. Mm-hmm. And so I have a section in my pantry, in my kitchen, that I call the Indian side. That's the side that my mom stocks. <laughs> I have the Indian drawer in my apartment. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know what I'm talking about. And um and so I, I grabbed two spices and I flavored it the way I would flavor any, my, the way my parents had taught me to flavor any kind of savory Indian dish. And for the first time, my friends who had been beneficiaries of, of my dessert making for many, many years, for the first time they said they had never tried anything like that before, that they would buy it. And obviously that's the number one thing you learn in business school. And so I was like, wow, I think I have a concept. Like I never thought of ice cream before, mm-hmm. but... This is the concept that I was waiting for. So, like, I don't think that, like, there was... Those were my mini aha moments, right? Like, there was a lot of, like, consulting with my parents and my friends and, like, you know, second-guessing myself after that. I don't think there's any big thing that, like, I knew this for all of my life, and so I decided to take a leap into this And Mm -hmm. because I knew it was coming. It was mostly, like, there were a lot of steps that led to it, and then I finally decided to take that one final big step. Mm -hmm. I can just picture the little light bulb going on <laughs> at friends giving me like this is it. And I'm about to email Professor Kabbalah Swar and being like, "Can we meet now?" And they're taking their class, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. can we make a map of my Worth own life? <laughs> Do you know what f- what flavor the first ice cream was? Yeah, so I made two. These are like super simple, but um, I made a ginger ice cream and mm-hmm. I made a star anise ice cream. Both part of our pie collection <laughs> um, now. Like definitely not as complex as the flavors that we uh, other flavors that we have, mm-hmm. but still really popular. I mean, I think that 
it's just it's just about having a good quality, using good ingredients, and just like really believing your product. So what happened after that? You have friends giving your friends like this ice cream, <laughs> yeah. But still, it could have turned into just like a hobby, something you do on the side. By the way, Justin is still eating ice cream for those of you keeping track at home. Um, <laughs> but curious, then again, how do you then focus it on building a full-fledged business, especially in a very competitive market like New York City? Yeah, I mean, I think that like if everyone worried about industry saturation, no one would start a business, right? Mm-hmm. So like, like I think that there's a there's a market for everything, and as long and as long as you believe in the product, and as long as you have a really great product, um, you will find your audience. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I wasn't so worried about that. Like the, the two things that I was really trying to fulfill was, A, I noticed that ice cream had not really reached a luxury level the way that other desserts had. Like even cupcakes were at weddings and chocolates and French macarons and like there were all of these things. And like the ice cream had not really achieved that, right? It's, it was very much like a kid-focused dessert. And then the other thing was that these spices that I grew up with, like these beautiful spices that were just high-end on their own, were not really part of the mainstream market. So I thought that fit really wonderfully together to kind of create a more luxury ice cream, a more special occasion ice cream, if you will, using these spices that I grew up with. And so the first step I did was I Googled. (laughs) Um, I I Googled a lot. One was how to start an ice cream business. (laughs) Mostly, I Is there an app for that? Is there an app for that? Is that what you said? I can start one. Diversify. Um, Spoken like a true entrepreneur, I'll just start one. I actually decided in January to attend a course about commercial ice cream making. Because for me to take this step, it wasn't just like I needed to, uh, you know, establish an LLC and and things like that. It was Mm -hmm. more like I had never had culinary training before and and to take that step into commercial culinary business right like it was it was very different and so Penn State has a renowned ice cream course um, they have like a dairy focused like specialization there and we all learned how to create like scientific formulas and on how to develop commercial ice cream and um how to make sure that it falls under like the USDA regulations and and things like that, right? Like things that I would never really consider. And for like smaller businesses, like testing out different ice cream machines, see which one we liked better, like speaking to vendors, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really helpful in, in taking that first step. And you're, you're, you're sorry, uh, you're following in the footsteps of Jenny from Jenny's Ice Cream and Christina Tosi from Milk Bar into this course. Yeah, pretty right? incredible. Yeah, they, I mean, obviously both super huge brand role models for me but absolutely like they like a lot of people have taken this course and when I was there um, there was a rep from Briars and there was a rep from Edie's like like people really take these these courses seriously whether it's just to have a refresh or whether it's to learn from scratch but it was it's so super informative and so worth it were you doing all this while you were working or were you in school when you we're trying to balance all this together. I was in school. It was in January, so gotcha. we had we, we were off. So that was actually super helpful because that was the time when I was testing all my recipes. Mm-hmm. So I had this built-in focus group all the time. Hungry MBAs. Yeah, yeah. what well, block got to benefit from all of your wonderful ice cream making? I actually was part-time, so it was Orange Core. Orange Core. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I'm sure they, they have extra sweet memories of you. Yeah. For sure. That was a great pun, by the Thank way. Thank you. I try. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a couple entrepreneurs on this show, um, and one of the things that we'd like to talk about is how is your experience here at Stern being an entrepreneur versus the vast majority of people who go here who want to go into consulting or banking or tech, and they're kind of on this like very rigorous, very defined path, and here you are kind of doing your own thing. 
uh, on the side. And, and how how is that experience here for you? And did you find that the community and the resources here at Stern helped you be successful in that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that like, you know, again, I came from like a very nonprofit background. Um, and I think that a lot of people say that if you know you want to start your own business, you don't necessarily need an MBA. And I, I'm just not in that same camp. I, I really felt like what what Stern and what the business degree gave me was actually just like a, a whole like a whole new language to speak in. I, I have a lot more confidence going into meetings that I would have never had. Mm-hmm. And um, like I, like I, I know what I'm talking about or I know what I need to find out, right? Like I, I have heard of it before mm-hmm. and and can can you know very easily find the resources to to make sure that I can know that answer. Um, so I, I, and also like everyone was so supportive while I was here. They were very happy to be my, part of my focus group and, and like EEX was so supportive and, and I did a sampling at their conference and, you know, things like that. And like professors were offering their advice and looking at my business plan and, and things like that. So I think it was, it was really key that I, like, pretty serendipitous that I just started while I was in school. Mm-hmm. That being said, like, I, 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 I'm very jealous of people who have very set tracks. Like, I, I think that it, like, having that structure can, can really help and guide someone. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I often felt a little lost and felt very alone um, in, in trying to figure this out. It was obviously, obviously like, a self-chosen path, but... I often am just like, I should have been a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Do your parents agree with that statement, though? So my parents are entrepreneurs themselves. Oh, wow. And so um, my, I had this, like, very telling conversation with my dad um, when I was recruiting for jobs, before this conversation with Copy, before um, this Friendsgiving happened. And my dad was like, Pooja, you'll get a job. And then what? And I was like, I'll make a bunch of money and I'll be great. <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't know what you're asking. He was like, but then what? Like, what? Are you are you just going to have this job? Like, are you going to move forward in this job? Are you going to change careers? Like, then what? Mm-hmm. Like, this seems like a really good time to build something for yourself, to build for the future. And I, I think that, like... I have only known my parents to have their own business. Like, that's how Mm -hmm. I grew up. And I have not only seen the ups, but I've seen very low lows as well. And for them to be this supportive and this, like, wanting me to follow my passions, even after all of that, is really telling that, like, that they really support this path and they really want this for me. Mm -hmm. And so they are like my um, unofficial advisors every single day of this journey. Um, I, like I, I talk to my dad like several times a day about decisions that I'm making, and, and he agrees with some and just doesn't agree with others. And it's it's great to have a sounding board. I don't know if they're glad I'm not a doctor, but <laughs> <laughs> that's a loaded it. question yeah, for someone who's exactly. Indian. <laughs> it sounds like they're your personal board of directors. They are, yeah. yeah. You can meet mine. She's sitting right here. <laughs> <laughs> so then you basically approach graduation in May Mm -hmm. and then decide to also start Malai at the same time. Right. I would love to hear how you chose the name. That's like one of my favorite questions on this show is how do people choose a name? I don't have an exciting answer for that, unfortunately. I don't remember. From the very, very beginning, I had called it Malai. Like I... 
had no other name for this. And like, again, my, my family comes from, my, like I'm a family of entrepreneurs. And so like going through that name process is something that we take very seriously. Mm-hmm. Yes. And um, we have like millions and millions of Google Docs about this, right? Like it's just like we all talk to each other about it and, and it's it's such a crazy process, but I never remember calling it even ice cream company. I've always called it Malai. So Malai means cream of the crop in a North Indian language, and I just knew that those are the two things that I like. I wanted to, like I said, I wanted to evoke luxury, and I wanted to evoke like global worldliness, like my culture. So yeah, that's what I've always called it. I, I already knew that going into into like my first sell, like sale of scooping, <laughs> so like that, like at my first market that I sold at. So when you're building this brand, I guess what part of it reflects your vision or you or your personality? All of it. Um, I think that this is an extension of who I am. <laughs> like I am proud to say that this is the only ice cream company that where every single flavor, every single offering that we have is brand focus it is related to to me in some way and like my growing up um even like we have a sea salt vanilla um for a more accessible flavor but that's even that's from my childhood i used to i used to sprinkle salt on my vanilla ice cream not like the fancy sea salt that we see now but like just regular (laughs) iodized salt um on my ice cream i just thought it was a little too sweet even our salted brown butter pecan that has a key base, you know? So like everything is super brand focused and it's it's my story. But what I love more than anything about this company is that when I'm making something directly from my memories and my upbringing, it like evokes a feeling of nostalgia and someone from a completely different background from me. Mm-hmm. And like, I remember the very first time this happened, this happens like literally on a daily basis, but the very first time that this happened, um, I was selling at Hester Street Fair on the Lower East Side. Yeah. Um, and I, which is like a fair that's very, very, very kind to small businesses. And I was selling my favorite of the 22 flavors, which is the orange fennel. And fennel is obviously like a very common um, after mint kind of for after Indian cuisine. And um, I just wanted to freshen that up with a little orange. And that's by far my favorite flavor. And my, I was selling that and I got a customer who came and she bought the orange fennel and she walked away. And she came back and she was just like, this flavor, this ice cream completely reminds me of my grandmother who lives in Italy. She used to make these fennel cookies and I never, like, I, I never am able to get that taste, that flavor anywhere. But I got this in the ice cream, so thank you. And it was just so special that, like, like she didn't grow up the same way that I did at all. And, like, we didn't have, like, the same palate growing up, anything like that. But f- only food's able to do that, yeah. mm-hmm. able to connect so cross-culturally. So even though, like, I'm taking things directly from my memories for this brand, like, it is, it, it is accessible and approachable to everyone. Absolutely. You said that before, this idea of an accessible flavor. Do you worry about that? Because you have so many exciting flavors to me, like lemon cardamom, carrot halwa, um, red chili chocolate, but I also come from an immigrant family. I'm a first generation. Do you worry that people aren't willing to take the quote-unquote risk and try a new flavor out there? No. It's a short answer. Um, (laughs) um, Next question. (laughs) um, I I think that you... I put out there what I believe in. Mm -hmm. um, And and this is what the brand is. Mm -hmm. I also think that 
people are excited to try new things. They're excited to see something different. I, like, I can talk about the ice cream industry forever, and I won't bore you guys with it, but ice cream is experiencing a boom right now. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great quality ice cream out there that didn't exist even five, even seven years ago. And like these like newer ingredients, these like more exotic quote-unquote ingredients are found in ice cream now. And so I think there's there's a market for it, right? Like they're like people are excited to try it. I also think that kids will have anything mm-hmm. that is cold and sweet. Like there's there's <laughs> like it's the parents that are deciding whether or not they like something. So our our fa- our uh, most popular flavor with kids is the carrot halva. Really? Wow. Which has vegetables in it, you know? Yeah. Um and and like that's a carrot and cardamom flavor. Mm-hmm. But like if parents are willing for their child to try it, um I think that they would like anything. Yeah, it's so crazy. To think about you know I grew up in a small town in Ohio and seeing my nieces and nephews eat tzatziki right. and hummus or know to dip in chutney it's so interesting to see how global even just the food experience has become when you literally can't even talk or walk but you know that things taste good and flavorful and that's what you always want right exactly like you know what's good versus bad and mm-hmm. vanilla is not always the best choice our, va- our vanilla is awesome <laughs> for, for the record um, but you know like there are there are other flavors out there too definitely so when you started this business, do you have a business partner or was this a solo enterprise? It is. I'm the only one. Really? And how how is that experience? Um, I think that this is like this was the unexpected hardest part of the business. I did not realize how lonely it was going to be starting this business. Obviously, like as you grow, you get to build a team and you get to, you know, pick the people that surround you and that's really cool but you know like even now I have a budget <laughs> and um, I like need to make sure that I'm mindful of that and not necessarily hire the people that I would want to hire right like because I just don't necessarily have that right now and so it's it's pretty lonely to make every decision by yourself, with mm-hmm. however small or big. But on a more basic level, I like one of the things that I really loved about work, about a job, is that I, I really liked being social. Um, I really like talking to my coworkers, and I don't even have that. So I, I think that that's definitely one of the hardest things. Yeah, I feel like there's this uh, psychology of being an entrepreneur where it is a very lonely road. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people don't necessarily prepare you for that. They don't necessarily they tell don't. you. They like, don't, right. It, it comes down to you. It's on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's this whole notion of faking it till you make it, right? Like you're constantly in that state, and whether it's and you're like moving up in those levels, but you're you're constantly in that state, and, and that can become taxing. But another thing, we, the other thing theme that we've seen so far is the importance of family supporting you in this. So I can only imagine how alienating could be your feel if your parents weren't on your like unofficial board of directors and weren't there with you every step of the day, literally each day. Yeah, and, and I live with my sister too, so like it's it's literally I get it all the time. <laughs> I don't think I would do this otherwise. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I would be able to. All right, so we have a question here. Yes. <laughs> if you were to create a flavor inspired by Stern. What would be the ingredients? Oh man, that's a tough one. I like immediately the first thing that came to mind was some kind of spiciness. Spicy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I think that it would be I like thinking about what's purple as well. So maybe like like a chili lavender. Wow. <laughs> Something like that. That's pretty good off the cuff. 
I'm impressed. <laughs> I know. The first thing I thought it was beer, and I was like, that's not <laughs> that flavor. Beer and tequila, it's not happening. Just pour all the flavors into one thing and then just grind it up into a soup. <laughs> I think that works, right? You know, I'm curious about the role of social media, because in a lot of companies, they start and they're operating in a vacuum. But for you, you really are operating in New York with this really interesting and distinct product. I'm curious how much you leverage on word of mouth versus social media to help drive um, Malai and help Malai grow faster? Well, we have invested zero marketing dollars so far. Wow. So, um, so it's all of it. <laughs> social media <laughs> does all of our marketing. The, the nice thing about having a food company is food is in and of itself extremely aspirational. And so having beautiful photography and, you know, being able to display that is is good marketing for us. We also have gotten pretty generous press um, in the past couple of years, and that's helped um, more people to know about us. I am, that's like the next hire that I was talking about because I am still very, like we've been in the Cobble Hill neighborhood for about three months now, and it's still very much like, oh, I have never heard of you before, which is like a little disappointing, and it's making me think that we really need to, mm -hmm. we really need to start marketing, <laughs> but um up until this point, it's just been social media. But let's be clear: you don't, you're not marketing, but you, we can find a line Whole Foods. So there, this is not yes. like you're making it in your kitchen. The whole thing. This is like a real enterprise happening. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, so where are you making this ice cream? Yeah. So, um, because of again, not exciting um, New York dairy laws, um, I have to have a co-packer or contract manufacturer mm -hmm. to do all of our wholesale. So I have. I have one of those in the Bronx. So every every pint you find in the grocery store, or in restaurants, all of that, shipping nationwide, that is made by him. He has all of our recipes. And then everything else, because we have 22 flavors, which was a mistake, guys. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Why a mistake? <laughs> That's just too many. Yeah. Yeah. Also in our rank sheet, we have like one through six, and then we have seven, and all of the other flavors land in the seventh category. There's just like nothing we can get rid of. Mm -hmm. But we make everything. We Up until a couple of weeks ago, we made everything at a shared kitchen space in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. um, but that unfortunately closed very abruptly. And so we are just, like I was talking about, we, we have a store that we're building out. And we're going to have a little production area there, too. And so we're just waiting for that build out to complete. And then we'll start making it out of there. So this was the co-working space in Brooklyn. How uh, How is that scene here in New York? How is kind of the co-working culinary scene? I mean, it's been so huge. I don't think I would have gotten a start without it. Um, they, the space that I was working out of, you know, it's a shared kitchen space and a share. It was a shared kitchen space and a shared office space, and so it it gave a it gave me all the permitting I needed to be able to operate mm -hmm. um, legally. Um, but B, it also That's gave important. me mm -hmm. right. Um, B, it also gave me um, just legitimacy. Like I had a space to work out of. Yeah. There are many kitchens out there um, that will that ha like that are shared kitchen spaces, and I think that it will would you know offer these same kind of resources as mine did. But mine did close very abruptly a couple of weeks ago, and a lot of businesses were displaced. But what we saw out of there was that like the New York food community is very tight and it's very supportive, and it was incredible to see how everyone came together. Um, and just like reached out to individual businesses being like, what do you need from us? Um, what can we help you with? And, and it's been really great. That's amazing. Yeah. Did you ever think though about producing Malai outside of New York, given the like space constraints and? 
Yeah, the nice thing about about being a heavily regulated dairy state is that you can then sell anywhere. Mm. Um, and so I have no problem producing in New York. We also, New York has great dairy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we benefit, we benefit from that. You know, with this uh, community kitchen closing mm-hmm. kind of abruptly, right? That's not something you can plan for. That's no. not something that, like, you know, would happen at, you know, a McKinsey or, like, a kind of normal job. But for you, it's as an entrepreneur, it's just something like you have to deal with. How do you handle kind of these sharp turns in the road? Yeah, I mean, I think we were, we came out a little bit, we were unscathed because we are in our off season. Mm-hmm. Um, if this were in the middle of summer, I don't know how it, we would have dealt with this, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, that being said, I like I think that I have always said that the thing that the shared kitchen space offered more than anything else was a community of people. So like it was kind of like going into work and seeing your coworkers and everyone's kind of working on their own project, which happens to be their own business. Um, but like everyone was at different levels of of their business. You always could ask them questions and you shared resources and um, and that doesn't go away because like the space closed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so everyone really came together and and then th- I'm talking about when I was talking about before was like the larger food community of New York, but just former Pilot Works members, just that former kitchen space members. Like everyone came together the very next day to talk about what we could do to help each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that if it had been in the summer a lot of people would have come to our help, you know, and like would have like helped us out in some way and and it would have been fine. Like even our like what we can't do right now because we are waiting for a space to build out is um, we can't produce our seasonal flavors, what you're eating right now. Um, but our even our co-packer, because he had heard of this, was like, I'm happy to produce in limited quantities your seasonal flavors, mm-hmm. even though they're not for wholesale, um, because I know what you're going through. So it's just like everyone has really just come together, and like it's it's been really great. There's definitely a real compassion in the food community, especially in New York, which I think is really beautiful. And sometimes I wonder if other industries like tech and whatnot who have these similar co-working spaces, if they have that same love or if they're much more competitive and much, much more you know, divided amongst themselves? Well, I think that, I mean, good question. I'm not sure. Um, but I think that it's very natural to think that these industries would be very competitive with each other um, or these businesses within the same industry would be very competitive with each other. But I think that's why shared spaces are so key because you utilize the same resources mm-hmm. um, and you're in it together, whether whether you want to be or not. And so um, I honestly wasn't expecting that kind of camaraderie either. I was expecting to for it to be there for there to be a little bit more of a competitive feeling. But I think that like when you're all like you're working together, you you know how much work goes into this and mm-hmm. how much work goes into your competitor's business. You're actually there to support each other. Um, I, have a, I have a very good friend who has an ice cream business. Um, we started along the same time and, you know, her shop is already built out and mine's not. And she's like, come, when are you coming to see it? Like when mm-hmm. are, like, you need to come see it so you mm-hmm. can get these vendor names and, and things like that. It's not about the competition. It's just to make sure that we're both going to succeed. That's amazing. That is amazing. So speaking of community, are there mentors that you look up to in the food industry? Yeah. So, I mean, for sure. Um, Jenny is like a big, I mean, like she's the queen of ice cream in every way possible. But um, there's this there's this Facebook group 
called Toklas Society for Women in Food and Hospitality. I joined it when I was actually still at Stern. A fellow Stern classmate told me about it. And it's just like a, again, it's just like a resource-driven Facebook page that like if you need anything, you post on it. But they actually had a mentorship program that you applied to a couple of years ago. And um, I I applied and I got this mentor, um, a bakery owner in Brooklyn, who is awesome. And then, and the the program was supposed to last for six months, but I have held on to her with like all my life. And I still update her every single month. I still ask her for advice, for contacts, everything. Um, and then she's introduced me to a lot of different people. So there's just like people in New York that are just a couple of years ahead of you that have been great mentors to me. I have to ask, since you know so much about the New York food scene, if you have favorite restaurants here in the city. You know, a lot of people ask me that, but I never eat out anymore because I don't have time. <laughs> <laughs> and probably because you can also make everything. Well, I mean, no, I actually make things for me. So, like, I, I'm not that person who makes everyone's birthday dessert mm-hmm. anymore because I don't, I don't, like, I'm making ice cream all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that part is a little sad. Um, I definitely want to, like, outsource that a little bit more, get out of the kitchen a little bit more so mm-hmm. I can, like, turn that back into a thing of passion rather than um, what I do. I want it to be both. Um, and so no recommendations. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> do you eat a lot of ice cream or is it when you're eating, it's all about, like, testing your own product? It's just QC. Yeah. Yeah. QC. QC. That's what, I'm going to start calling that when I eat Malai now, too. <laughs> I'm, I've been QCing this whole yeah. interview. Still <laughs> eating the ice cream, by the way. <laughs> uh, do you ever get fatigue, ice cream fatigue? Have you ever had ice cream fatigue? What I does have that not, mean? But you, but you, uh, but you, uh, you uh, taste it and you're in this world all the time. Just kind of living your passion yeah. and kind of blurring the line between work and So and here's passion. a little secret that I'm spilling out to everyone. Um, I never really liked ice cream. It was always a supplemental for me. It was the a la mode part. The mm-hmm. whatever, it was, whatever it was on top of was what was the actual star. And I think that that's, I truly believe, and, and you obviously have to believe this if you have a business, but I truly believe Malai changes that. Like, I think that Malai can be on its own and you'll have mm-hmm. a satisfactory and a satisfying um, dessert. But no, I don't, I, I, it's not like I eat Malai day and night. And like, <laughs> so that's all I have. Um, whenever we have seasonal flavors, I get so excited about them because they're in limited quantities. And so like, that's all I eat for a little period of time. Um, <laughs> our most popular flavor is rose with cinnamon roasted almonds so I very rarely eat that because we have it all the time but when I do I was like oh damn that's good <laughs> so yeah so for you it was always the a la mode are there other desserts in the future for Malai yeah for sure so um I don't want Malai like the ice cream to be the only CPG product that we have mm-hmm. um so we're, we're kind of figuring out what other things would fall under the Malai brand and we're testing those recipes right now I did see a blueberry dumpling recipe on your blog. Oh, my God. Those were so good. <laughs> it sounds really interesting. So that could be the next. I could see that all over, like, Instagram and Facebook, that the next big thing in New York City is a blueberry dumpling. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> or not. You know more than I do. Or not. Market of one. I, I was just going in the, in the archives, I know, of your blog to see on the different recipes that you have. With some malai on top. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. So for our listeners, if, we, uh, if they want to try malai, where can they find it? So we're at New York City, all New York City Whole Foods. Um, like I said, you can you can order online for pickup or delivery, um, and we have a storefront. That's awesome. Do you have any advice for other entrepreneurs, whether they are in Stern right now or have graduated or you know thinking about going to business school? 
Yeah, I think that like one thing that I have to remind myself almost every day is that like it's it's so easy to try to figure everything out on your own and try to like, you know, like I said, like Google is is the number one resource that I have, but I would say to ask questions. There's you never know who knows what. Or you never know who knows who. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'll just go ahead and ask. There, it, it won't hurt anything. And, um, and so like, I, I always try to remind myself to do that as well. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being thank here. Thank you for having me. This was fun. We really appreciate it. And thank you for bringing this toasted nutmeg ice cream. It's always. <laughs> all right. Anything awesome. else you want to mention at all? Anything we didn't cover? No, I'm good. That was wonderful. That was so wonderful. Oh, good. I'm glad, guys. That was fantastic.